Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner. Now, we are going to continue with the ABC of sailing. I've been doing this for a little while, and I think you'll agree that I've picked some pretty unusual things as we've been going along. Um, e was estimated position error, which ended up being all about uh, navigation and the reduction of estimated position error over time. F was uh, for flat earth and looking at why people would maybe think that. And again, looking at the history of navigation and how we had already previously worked out that it was a ball quite a long time ago. I've been trying to find things where I think C was cooking, wasn't it? So I'm looking for like the mortar between the bricks of sailing rather than being just yet another reproduction of things that we have all read many times on every sailing website and in every sailing book that you pick up. So with the challenge of J ahead of me, I'm thinking, okay, like J class yachts. That's not, that's not too bad. It's kind of interesting. Um, what else is there? Uh, <laughs> I started to like run out of ideas pretty quickly about something that you can talk about for an hour. Remember the idea of this, uh, this section of the podcast, this ABC is that I kind of shoot from the hip and that I could research a load of stuff, but ultimately, um, you know, what use is that to you in a storm? They say with a lawyer that really what you're getting is someone who knows how to research law information. And a lot of jobs are, are, are like that, where you have the skill set to look things up. That's useful. Unfortunately, sailing's not really like that. And as we've said previously, it's very unlikely to be able to open, you know, your edition of whatever book it is you've chosen and catch the details you need during an emergency on a boat. So the point of ABC is that I shoot from the hip, talk about something. What can I talk about that begins with a J that's interesting? Looking at the top of the section here for the letter J, I realized perhaps we we had a subject after all. And if you've seen the title of this podcast, you'll read it's jargon. J is for jargon. Sailing is filled with it and it creates all sorts of benefits and all kinds of problems. And the first thing that's here at the beginning of the J section in the Mariner's Dictionary is the word Jack. Now, this book was written by somebody who has a passion for sailing and, and words to do with sailing. Gersom, Gersom Bradford. That's an interesting name. G-E-R-S-H-O-M. Am I saying that right? Gerson? Gerson Bradford, 1952, decides, you know what, I'm going to make an, uh, uh, a, a list of sailing words because clearly he'd already realized there was a big problem with this. Um, it's not laid out necessarily like a, uh, a dictionary, so you wouldn't get a, an instant idea of how many different uh, um definitions there were for a particular word but as I plowed into reading the first one in a previous iteration of this uh, podcast I realized the issue the word jack has eight different things that it can relate to and if you're on a vessel which basically was a military sailing vessel you're pretty jack screwed which uh, <laughs> let me give you an example here so a jack is a device for moving heavy pieces of cargo and for forcibly stowing things in a small space okay also called a jack screw when used horizontally so we've got jack and jack screw, no problem. The name given to the flag, consisting usually uh, of the union of the ensign. This flag is displayed from a jack staff, so we're on four different things there. Um, <clears throat> let's skip down the page a little bit. Um, a vessel shows a jack at the foremost when in need of a pilot, so a different usage of the, of the jack. It's displayed at a yardarm when a general court-martial or board of inquiry is in session on a man of war. So now we've got six instances of a jack being used in different sorts of situations and know a flag or an actual mechanical check okay got all that it's also a horizontal iron bar used at the head of the t'gallant mast where the t'gallant and royal masts are in one spar it spreads the rigging at that point and is also called a jack cross tree okay okay so we're up to like seven things here an iron rod along the top of a yard to which sails are bent or reefed is also a jack 
and uh, they are called bending or reefing jack stays. Okay, great. Okay, so now we're up to eight things. The wire rope running through the heads of the awning stanchions to which the awning is stretched is called the jack stay. A vertical stay immediately abaft the topmast of a schooner is called a jack stay. The lazy jacks are bridles from the topping lift to the... <sighs> Hang on. <laughs> Sailing has got loads of words that all kind of overlap each other and trip each other up and seem to be just there to create all sorts of issues. One of the things with sailing is that it goes back so far that we've got all sorts of words which are in there from other nationalities in like other periods of time, other epochs. Like the, I don't know if this is exactly the origin of it. Maybe I could look it up in this book, but the word boom is um, is Dutch for tree, right? So is it just a Dutch word that's got into our into our sailing parlance? Very possibly. Um, I know when I have to do this stuff with other nationalities, sometimes they'll recognize the words I'm saying in English because it has a similar derivation in their own uh, language. So within all this, I think we've got enough to have a good old chat about jargon. And uh, I'll be using the Mariner's Dictionary as a bit of a, a, a backstop so that we can read. And we'll just read from the J section, which, of course, uh, is what originated this idea in the first place. So without any further ado, let's jump in. Um, communication on board a vessel at sea. Look, clear communication is the name of the game. It always has been. It always will be. We're now at a point where we've got hundreds and hundreds of years of people trying to be very clear with each other. And of course, all that is then overlapping each other, as we said, and creating complication. Um, using the correct sailing jargon ensures clear and precise communication between sailors. But I think when they both know the language that they're speaking and unfortunately a lot of the situations that people go sailing in these days you're kind of really thrown in with other folks i remember there was guys that i sailed with in halifax and they had all sailed with a uh, a local sailing legend who was either a military or merchant captain previously and um, the boat i believe was called the third wave it was very successful racing wise but having sailed with quite a number of his crew they all had this like very particular parlance that they used for um running lines on the boat and doing sail handling particularly around the pit and the piano and everything um and it was basically 1950s merchant speak with lots of kind of come ups and uh, uh on belay and stuff i can't remember exactly now what they were using but um it, it i said to them like how come you're all speaking this language and they said this chap that they used to sail with who was maybe called Hal uh, maybe I'm right about that I don't know I it's a pity that I don't know the exact details he was very highly thought of by those people that sailed with him he'd unfortunately recently passed away but um Hal I believe was his name um had a very strict decorum for how things were to be done on board the boat and it was good enough that those people who all in their own right were professionals had decided to keep on using it in their sailing thereafter um they didn't find it a bind at all it allowed clear communication Obviously, the rest of us had no flipping clue what they were talking about, which is back to that original point. Like, uh, everyone's got to know what this language is. Um, it helps avoid misunderstandings and confusion, especially in critical situations. Uh, if you can say exactly what the thing is to a professional who's speaking the same language that you are, then hopefully a couple of things happen. When the penny finally drops, because everybody in an emergency has that kind of freeze up moment, they know exactly what you're talking about and it just gets them there quickly. And it can also mean that in a particular situation, you can identify a danger so that someone can't, you know, suddenly stick their hand into something or what have you. So we, we all understand that. The, the problem is it's this double edged blade where it can be very, very useful to be so exact. And then 
the rest of the time we're just kind of getting beaten over the head with it. Um, safety. The, the proper use of sailing terminology is essential for safety on board. And it's one of those things that you do all of the learning for sailing, you do all of the, the yacht master or the six pack in the US or whatever it is, or it's you know much more serious qualifications to take out large yachts. You, you're doing a, you're doing a very large amount of work to get to a very specific point, which is that dealing with all of the threats and all of the issues and the um, the often imminent dangers that sailing can contain, whether it's be motorboats or, or sailing boats, um, you have a tool that you can use, which is that you can incise your way through you know a complex situation and get complicated problems solved with a complex series of actions which are easily coordinated through a shared uh, common language right um, it is at its very best when it's aiding safety and when it's aiding performance for racers um, when it's aiding communication so that people aren't getting all up in each other's faces on board the boat through misunderstanding it's at its worst when people are trying to use it and it's becoming the cork in the bottle and no one can get past what the other's saying um, clear communication can prevent accidents and emergencies by ensuring everyone understands the commands and the maneuvers and what's happening around them. But unless it's practiced and, and, and worked through, it can equally have the opposite effect. I was lucky enough to be working with uh, a chap who's a mover and shaker in technology in the US recently. And I was uh, interested to hear him having a conversation with uh, colleagues uh, in, a, in an overall meeting where they had identified that there was a problem in some element of the contract uh, that they were putting to their customer, that the the customer had a query about a particular definition within the contract and um, if it went the customer's way it was a lot less profit for the company if it went their way they were back on track with how they thought things were going to be so they had to get to the bottom of how this particular piece of language is being used and having identified clearly what was the company's requirement and the the clausal intent they had to then get these these words stuck in their heads so what he had them to in a very supportive and adult and you know conciliatory and 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 supportive manner um had them like have a few practice conversations using the words that they needed to use so that there was no you know complication and and, and uh, ambiguity later on so they had like he's like we need to practice using this language how is this used so they they went through that but by the end of it you had a feeling that they'd got it down pat as to what this language meant, when to use it, what to avoid. My question through all of that example is, do we ever do that in sailing? Do we ever practice? Like you practice tacking. I guess I do it a lot more than other people do because I do sail training all the time. So I'm always in a situation where I'm having to teach people to do um, basic drills on board the boat. Not that pe everyone that comes to the boat doesn't know how to sail but many people don't and you have to anyway find like a a shared methodology and a shared culture and you have to kind of facilitate that right we've had this word before where you facilitate and manipulate you you're kind of given the impression that everyone's every group is finding their own way of doing it but actually everyone finds my way of doing it because you know let's work as a team and do it my way right so the point is that in that situation, we have to practice using language to then get to a full understanding of what that language is intended to have happen. If everybody has a different idea of how these words are to be interpreted, it can get very confusing. I don't think, though, that that happens very much on most boats. And you get a lot of people in situations where they're um, shouting and screaming at each other when actually they both agree 
and have the same understanding of what kind of should be the outcome. But they've got two completely different methodologies, it would seem, from scanning the arguments as presented. Their, their, their jargon is becoming a problem once again. It's not something that's uh, helpful to what's happening. So um, being very aware of the fact that jargon is uh, helpful in safety situations and clear communication can make complex actions happen very fast, okay. But everyone has to practice using that language. They need to understand what the terms mean. And we need to have like conversations which include people admitting that they don't know something. There was a sailor um, commented on the video I did recently over on YouTube about winches and the kind of detailed seamanship aspect to that. And he'd said, I learned a couple of things in this. And I said, well, thank you so much for saying that because sailors are pretty crap at admitting their gaps, you know, myself included and to my detriment. I think it was... I think I had sailed around the world twice before I was actually on a race boat and was happy to admit like what I I, I didn't know. And that's um, <laughs> a bit nerve wracking. That's a bit like it's crazy having doctors work such long hours and be so tired when what they're in charge of, like your safety and your, your friends and family safety is absolutely critical. And yet they don't sleep properly. That's a kind of like an insanity. The fact that you're on a sailboat and a lot of people would find themselves perhaps consciously, unconsciously in a situation where they don't really want to ask questions and, and, and get to the, the bottom of things. That's when you realize like something's, something's not right here. <laughs> it's all back to front. If we're saying that we have this other language for safety and we have this other language for clear communication and we have this other language to avoid misunderstandings, it's a pity when the language itself <laughs> that becomes the barrier and creates all the problems because no one's practicing it. Um, using the correct jargon streamlines communication and enhances the efficiency of sailing operations. Absolutely. You know, why use 50 words when you can use five? Um, the, all of the actions that happen when you say get ready to tackle something are are then um, synchronized by the words and various checks and balances are performed, you know, everyone ready to tackle that kind of stuff. The going through every detail of it and explaining every part of it would be crazy. So we're trying to get like keywords that then um, create a, a ballet, create some kind of like choreography between the people on board the boat and the boat itself and the people around the boat if you're racing, all that kind of stuff. If you don't practice it, how on earth can it work? It's uh, I think it's becoming a lot more common these days for teams uh, with any kind of um, idea for proficiency to to, to film what they're doing, uh, to go back and review it and to try and understand how to streamline things. Language is a first place to start. Body position is another one. Situational awareness, you know, actually knowing exactly what it is you need to do. You could you could hit these kind of points pretty easily um, in a in a team briefing. But but language is absolutely key because it's normally the one that goes wrong. Um, you know, the foredeck, not talking to the guys in the pit. None of them talking, of course, to the people at the back of the boat who really know what's going on uh, and the people at the back of the boat just shaking their heads as the uh, people at the front of the boat try and ignore them. Um, that's the kind of dynamic on some boats. And that's not just racing boats. I think that might be sometimes on uh, on cruising boats as well. But the point being that uh, that's where language and then sort of sociality and, and strata on the boat has started to become a problem. We're finding ways to create a problem to um to to make language into something that's a problem why do we do that well sailing has a rich tradition uh a culture 
and uh, of this unique language and this terminology and, and knowing it is a kind of badge of merit that you kind of know what's going on. Um, my examples here, hopefully, in the, the Mariner's Dictionary uh, may stretch some people's understanding of uh, how much they, they really know. And uh, my position with this is that you don't have to be that exact and um, you don't have to attempt to speak a foreign language if you don't know what it means. But we could all agree on like less fancy terms and probably be a lot more efficient for it. As long as we have a language that works for us, what does it matter if it's the same one everyone else is using? For the example being this. Uh, okay, we know what a um, a jack rope is. We know what a jack staff is. I'm reading from the section in the book here. A jack rope, the lacing that uh, bends the foot of a sail to the boom. So if you've got an old style sail where you actually lace it onto the boom, it's not loose footed, that's called a jack rope. There's a jack staff, which is the short pole um, at the bowsprit where you put your um, your jack flag, if that's what you've uh, got, if you've got a military vessel. Um, jackass. Hmm? How does that get into this? Well, it's a cornucopia canvas bag filled with oakum and hove into the hawse hole to prevent the entrance of seawater. That escalated pretty damn quickly, I think you'll agree. Um, hawse hole, you know, we're not doing the... Um, the H is today, but to look it up, it's H-A-W-S-E. Basically, it's where the uh, where the uh, anchor warp comes in at the front of the uh, at the front of the ship. Uh, it's called the hawse hole. You don't want massive, like cannon f shots of of water coming out of those. Uh, it just clears out everybody that's on the foredeck. So you stick a jackass in there. It's kind of like a triangular shaped bag that's got some kind of stuffing inside. They foam these days, and uh, it stops all the water coming through. Right. Well, you either knew that or you didn't. Okay, what's next on the list? Well, Jacob's Ladder. I don't know if you know what Jacob's Ladder is. You've got, um, the. it says here, the English call the condition of the sun drawing water Jacob's Ladder. So when the sun touches the horizon and those rays are kind of like laddered out beneath it uh, across the water, the, um, the that's, that's what Jacob's Ladder is, okay? But also, of course, this being sailing, it's, uh, it, it's a literally a ladder, one consisting of served wire rope sides which support rungs usually of iron. Such ladders are found hanging from the stern of a ship, from the boat booms, they're above the masts where trysails and spanker are brailed in, and above the topmost rigging. So there's there's Jacob's ladders all over the place on an old style ship. Jacob's staff is the same as a cross staff. A, a yaked, a J-A-E-G-T, is a Norwegian vessel of small tonnage rigged with one mast from which is set a square sail and a topsail. Okay, well this is, this, we're, getting on the, we're getting the good stuff now. Uh, let's try this. Jamaica discipline. Do you know what that is? The Jamaica discipline? The articles governing or supposed to govern the routine of a pirate ship in the 18th century. By its terms, the captain took two shares of booty, the officers one and a half and one and a quarter according to rank, while men shared alike. Quite unlooked for is an article forbidding gambling and also the bringing of women aboard ship. It was stipulated that the use of strong drink must be indulged in only on deck after 8pm. These rules were formulated to prevent quarrels aboard ship. There you go. Look at that. The, Jama the Jamaica discipline. <clears throat> Jamaica? Nope, she wanted to. Uh, Jamie Green. A sail set beneath the bowsprit and jaboom of a tea clipper. The halyard hauled the sail to the end of the jaboom and the tack uh, to the lower end of the martingale boom. Now, if you don't know what a jaboom is, <laughs> it's like a bowsprit at the end of your bowsprit, basically. So this was a sail called a Jamie Green that went underneath the bowsprit and went out to the martingale, that, the dolphin striker, the little like spreader that goes down underneath the bowsprit. So you had a sail under there. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. All right, a jangada is a raft-like boat used in South America. Now the Japan current, you must know this one, the Kuriyoshio, right, the black snake, the current of the Pacific corresponding to the Gulf Stream of the Atlantic on the left-hand side of all the large patches of water on the planet because of the Coriolis effect you have big currents running so you've got the Gulf Stream going up the left-hand side of the Atlantic you've got the uh, Japan current the 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 Kuriyoshio going up the left-hand side of the Pacific and you've got the is it the Mozambique current and the Agulhas current that meet in South Africa the Agulhas current runs up the side of no hang on the Agulhas current runs across the bottom of South Africa and the Mozambique current runs up the east side of Africa. What's north of that though? What's the corresponding current in the Indian Ocean? I don't know. If you do, feel free to email me, cmsmthemariner at gmail.com. Um, I don't know that one, but um, the uh, the Japan current, the Kuriyoshio, I know that one. I've sailed into that many times and it is like a river running through the middle of the ocean. Your bow of your ship goes into it and like slew sideways as like, like a kayak putting in the river. It's crazy. Um, one more here before we keep talking about the uh, the fundamental underpinnings of uh, why we use jargon. Uh, the Jason Clause. This is a clause in the Bill of Lading which provides that the shippers, consignees or owners of the cargo shall contribute with the ship owner in general average in the event of danger, damage or disaster resulting from any cause whatever, whether due to negligence or not, for which the ship owner is not responsible. Okay, so the Jason Clause means that basically everybody else that's in the business of moving stuff from one place to another, the, the shippers, the consignees, or the owners of the cargo, all of those guys pitch in together in something called general average, which pays out in the event of danger, damage, or disaster resulting from anything that happens on the voyage, which is not uh, covered by the ship owner. Okay, well, didn't know that. Um, the likelihood of ever getting to the bottom of all the jargon in sailing is zero because even if we have fun now going through J in this uh, dictionary um, which is only like another page and a half here um, the point is that once you get to the bottom of that then you have to deal with all the other systems which are on board the boat like the uh, the hydraulics and the, uh, the anything to do with uh, ropes and how they're put together and all of different uh, parts of the rope and the needles and threads and the technology that's used now is it SK78 or is it SK99 Max or is it you know you can every single part of the boat and get into like the boat building and the, the structure of the boat and the materials that are in the boat and the um, of course the navigation the meteorology the electronics you're going to be spending many lifetimes just to get to the bottom of it so in the end you're going to have to have a few hoofa doofas and thingy me what's it's uh, to throw in otherwise you're just going to get stuck like pointing at things going that that thing there um, understanding and using sailing jargon properly um, can connect sailors to the heritage and to the wider community like you could be in a bar in Newport and uh, suddenly like and it strike up a conversation with somebody and if you know all the kind of same words that they do like little lingu linguistic chameleons you'll realize that you're in the same uh, gang and uh, you want to kind of like pursue your conversation further it's it's a signal which allows us to understand you know where the other person's knowledge level is at as well you know if you're um, a professional in a particular area then you're going to know a lot more jargon and I think there is definitely um, a kind of uh, culture of that in sailing I used to call it the Stuka handshakes you get in the Solent particularly in the UK I think it's probably the same in Newport and Annapolis and other meccas of sailing there's a lot of people most of them 
with their genitals on the outside of their bodies who will give you these like giant stuka handshakes where they come from like shoulder height and dive the hand in uh, low there with like a stuka coming in to grab hold of your little meaty offering and then just squeeze all the life out of it whilst looking you dead in the eye and giving you their cv get a lot of that <laughs> it's true like not the obviously the bit <clears throat> bit more cultured folks and the uh, the people who are uh, just tired of the whole damn thing but the the young the young fellas the young bucks particularly they they know they've got very little time to make an impression so in the mind of a 21 to 25 year old what they're going to do is impress you with the thing that they <laughs> have done that they think is most interesting which um you know fine hey you learn a lot in that way and it might well be that it works once in a while it's certainly funny to witness um but uh it gives you an idea of who they are the other thing is that they use well the other thing that young bucks do is they've always got their harnesses on and their knee pads on and i i have in the past uh been involved in um sort of uh, amateur competitions uh, between myself and other sailors uh, looking for how far away from a regatta we can find somebody wearing a sailing harness and their knee pads down around the sides of their uh, ankles if you don't race then um, well you still see the same people going up and down the dock you know the one with like the kind of bleached out hair and the uh, the sunglasses on all the time and some sailing t-shirt from a, a regatta like three or four years ago they've still got their harness on even though you know it's now 24 hours since the race finished those people also when they leave regattas they will they will continue to wear that stuff and you i think the furthest i've ever got from uh from the solent is uh london it's kind of understandable because you could get on a train there and then just happen to forget to take it off your harness by the time you get to london but i have witnessed people coming off of uh, uh off trains in london with that kind of gear on again you know, why not identifying, hey, this is I'm proud of. This is something I'm really into. And uh, the language goes with it in competitive sailing and professional maritime environments like merchant seamen and uh, naval, of course, uh, using the correct jargon demonstrates your professionalism and your competence. If you're putting all the words together correctly, then we have a built in system that lets us know, oh, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. If you're talking about I know the construction of a vessel with its owner, okay, the person in the yard, okay, the designer, okay. Like these are three different people who have complete connection to what's going on for this hull, but they're understanding the depth of understanding of what's going on with it is uh, perhaps at three different levels. So you understand those different levels as you uh, assess their, uh, their, their language, of course. Um, it's essential for effective teamwork and coordination during races and regattas and again it's a way of kind of bringing a team together the the, the very teaching of the words the very teaching of the phrases and what's going to be happening in your boat cements people into the crew as does wearing a uniform as does turning up for training all the rest of it but it's uh the, the language that you're all going to use and it's of course we know that uh, not just the, the language of the actual boat and the mechanics of what's going on, on the boat, but the phraseology and the in jokes and all the rest of it. All of it is part of the jargon of getting involved in sailing. And it's very alluring. You know, people want to be part of a gang. That's kind of like where the problem starts to come in, where people are using the language as a, a kind of a blocking tactic for people that they don't want to be in their gang or, or that's the barrier you have to step across to get in the gang of like being on the boat. All of which, of course, is complete bullshit. So don't subscribe but um <laughs> let's continue with the jays here so do you know what the jaw is the jaw the jaw of a rope 
<laughs> the jaw of a rope is the distance between two points on the same strand measured along the rope. So if you imagine a strand and like a three three strand piece of line, a horse laid piece of line, and uh, they're wrapping around, how quickly does the spiral come around? That's called the jaw of the rope. So if it's really tightly laid, then it will have what's called a uh, a loose jaw and or a long jaw and if you have uh, very tightly woven something then you've got a short or a tight jaw so you've got a, a measurement type which gives you basically like how tightly woven together that rope is and then what kind of jobs can it be put onto the more um uh, the, the rather the shorter the jaw then the less flexible the the line it's more tightly uh, woven together uh jayhawking Jayhawking is using a tender to tow a sailboat in a calm. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I have. <laughs> and it wasn't particularly calm at the time. And it was a very small tender. Oh, Lord. The things we have managed to get ourselves through. Jeers uh, is a heavy tackle of double or treble blocks called a jeer blocks used for hoisting heavy yards. A deck capstan used to heave in the fall, the jeer fall, of this tackle or tackle is called the jeer capstan. A jeer was originally a hawser or heavy rope supporting the types of heavy yards. Okay, so jeer was originally a way of describing the hawser that um, that supported the yard, but later it was related also to the jeer blocks and the jeer capstan for hoisting all the very heavy stuff up into the yard. You know, back in the day, they were smart enough to realize don't leave your heavy lines aloft. The lines that you need to get something up and get it shackled onto the front of the mast, that's one thing, but then don't leave it up there because weight aloft obviously um, makes the boat less able to stand up to the breeze. So you'd have jeer lines, jeer blocks, jeer capstans, which have put, put everything up there and then get the jeers back down, stick them back in the bosun's locker and everything's uh, good to go. Uh, jetsam as in uh, flotsam and jetsam the jetsam is goods thrown overboard to lighten a vessel um, the flotsam now there's jetsam flotsam and lagan do you know the do you know what all those are uh, jetsam are things that you throw off the back and uh, they are to, to lighten the vessel flotsam are things that float off the boat and lagan does anybody know what lagan is i've forgotten now what do i have to look through this book and oh, okay on your behalf, I'm looking through. It's another kind of like stuff that comes off a ship. Uh, you Things that float off, things that you throw off, and then lagan. Is that things that come off and then sink that have to be recovered later on? That's my guess at the moment. You know, good job we weren't looking at uh, L because a hell of a lot of things that <laughs> seem to be uh, um, under, the, uh, under the L section here. Lagan, all right. Any heavy article thrown overboard and buoyed. Aha, exactly. So that's the point. So... Flotsam floats off the boat, uh, jetsam is thrown off, it's jettisoned off, and lagan, you put it off, it's heavy, it sinks, and you buoy it so you can go back and get it later on. There you go, see? Didn't know that, did we? Uh, where, let's get back into the J's here for one more. Uh, jibber jibboom, we've talked about that already. The jib netting, oh, jibber the kibber, there we go. To jibber the kibber, you ever heard of that? Jibber the kibber is to lead ships ashore by false lights. That's what they used to do when they used to make out like they were the uh, the lighthouse essentially, and then they would because they had moved the position of the lighthouse, the the ship would then be you know using the lighthouse as a bearing, and the people ashore would be wise enough in their their activity to know okay, well then he will then end up in this position, and this position is where the rocks are, and the the ship goes uh, onto the rocks. And then you've got a lot of flotsam, jetsam, and ligam. Uh, and uh, 
you have gibbered the kibber. So anybody who tells you that they are like up on their parlance with sailing, that they, uh, they're pretty down with sailing jargon. Um, firstly, you should look at them pretty strangely if they uh, talk to you like that, if they're down with jargon. But you can use that as a kind of litmus test. You know, if they don't know what to gibber the kibber is, then uh, anything they say thereafter on sailing jargon is uh, totally, uh, totally meaningless. Um, if you haven't already, please take an opportunity to consider going over to uh, the YouTube channel and liking and subscribing what's going on there. If indeed you do like it and feel the, uh, the uh, desire to subscribe and see more of it. If you ring that little bell thing, um, it means that you get a little notification saying new videos are coming out. I'm pretty much doing one a week at the moment. I'm looking more at those YouTube shorts as well. Um, pretty difficult to find content for YouTube shorts. There's a there's a uh, sailing channel called The Beauty of Sailing, and he has some amazing sailing, like cruising stuff and crazy things that happen in the docks and funny things and dramatic things and touching things and still like no interest, hardly any clicks compared to what YouTube is capable of. You know, sailing is just this like super niche corner of the internet and uh, woe betide you if you're trying to look for uh, lots and lots of uh, clicks. Certainly, uh, certainly not the way I'm doing it, but um, have a look at YouTube. I think there's some good content there. Certainly that last one I did all about winches has got some uh, some thumbs up and uh, some nice comments. So thank you very much for those. Um, I hope that we can provide a service wherein people are more confident with working winches and safer when loads are higher. Um, it is an area of the boat where it's uh, it's easy to do it the wrong way and make life very hard and dangerous for yourself. So I hope there's something that can help everybody. Of course, also we've got the Mariner's Library where I'm reading these uh, books. Got a great uh, anthology I'm reading at the moment, and it's got uh, one story which really stood out to me, which was uh, people back in the 1920s driving uh, Shamrock 5 home from the US after an unsuccessful uh, uh, America's Cup. And uh, they're bringing home a boat which is an out-and-out -out racer, and uh, it hasn't even got a full floor in it, let alone, uh, you know, uh, or oh, sorry, should I say a soul? They don't have a full soul uh, in the boat, and... Uh, it's just disastrous. There's nowhere for them to be on board the boat. The water's coming in every which way. They haven't got proper pumps. They haven't got any proper gear. It's a really dangerous situation. They're all extremely happy to get ashore, but uh, brilliantly told by somebody who was on board the boat. And uh, yeah, well worth a listen. So that's the Mariner's Library, if you're interested in any of that. But um, let's continue having a look at uh, jargon here. What else there might be to, to say? Um, we said earlier that uh, sailing is uh, got these four main things that we're trying to get from it. Efficient communication so that we can get these complex jobs done together. Prepare to tack something like that is a good example. I have a pretty uh, unusual method of uh, tacking a boat in the, the words I say, and it's completely connected to my history sailing and uh, is non-standard. In no way am I trying to impose it on anybody else, but every part of it is thought out so that uh, there's the minimum chance of things going wrong and the person giving the commands which is me has maximal control over the boat in what can offer in what can often be a very tight situation the kind of sailing we were doing with um, clipper back in the day and doing with spartan later uh, was the kind of thing where you had people on board the boat who weren't in any way attempting to make out like they were professional sailors or close but were learning and were very keen and a very small number of people on board the boat who would be considered to be competent um, and these are 70 foot yachts in both uh, you know scenarios um, and people have had like three to five days training before we're out racing against other massive boats so I 
kind of deduced this method of tacking the boat because particularly a lot of start line situations were high stress for me because I'm steering the boat, but I cannot have my hands anywhere near the main sheet, the traveler, the jib sheets, the anything, the backstays, none of it. Everything has to be controlled by me controlling the boat, and controlling the people so that um, we can maneuver the boat and not crash into other boats at the start line. Right. If you get two 40 ton boats and smack them together, it's a bit of a problem. So um, firstly, certainly I had to practice the language. We uh, want to create a scenario, as we've said, where people understand what it is that um, is being uh, communicated, uh, what the steps are in the process and uh what will be the um, alternative options. So you may have a complete set of things that are going to happen. But in the case that X happens, we then go to plan B and plan B has this language with it. Sometimes when people get into emergency situations, they start doing new things in emergency situations. That's always a bad idea. In an emergency situation, you should always be doing old things, particularly old things that you practice lots. Um, I'm not to say that's not to say that you should hold on to old knowledge and never change. It's to say that something should be well practiced and done an old hat to you. So you have muscle memory and can move through it. If you're trying to like incorporate new uh, plans, it, you're asking for a Marine Accident Investigation Bureau report, which we have read on here previously. And oftentimes it will say because of X, Y, Z situation, they did something new. And then, of course, everything went wrong. So we want to create a situation where we have efficient communication, things that go wrong when you're a sole skipper and you have a big boat and people don't really know what they're doing and you're going to tackle maneuver the boat. The first one uh, for me always is um, that the jib is going to either not transfer from one side to the other when I want it to, or it's going to go early or it's not going to be trimmed on enough. And suddenly I'm going to stop or heave to or be unable to accelerate. So I have to keep the boat in a big enough um, safety envelope that there's no way that a communication error or, an, or a misunderstanding or a physical inability to finish a job because of an override or not strong enough could then imperil the boat. I can never put the stress on the people that come on the boat that if you get this wrong, then, you know, very serious things going to happen because that's not the deal. It's sail training. It's meant to be an increase in perceived danger and a lower of, lowering of actual danger. That's where learning occurs. You can't put people into actually fretful situations and expect anything other than a disaster. Um, so what we need to do is uh, create a, a language that we all understand. And um, my language begins with keeping control of the headsail. That's uh, an area which is completely different, I think, than most other people will say. In most tacks, you say um, prepare to tack. And then you say something along the lines of helms down or helms to lee or whatever it is that you say on your boat. OK, so um, prepare to tack. Is everybody ready? Helms down. OK, that's not enough for that uh, evolution to go smoothly in the situation that I get into. So I say prepare to tack. That's pretty normal. Everybody comes off the rail that needs to come off the rail. They get into the cockpit. They do the things that they need to do. The next instruction that they're the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to like jump into this scenario of this 40 ton boat taking this big turn and everything's going to get hypercritical. So there is a pressure on people to feel like they need to perform. So if you ask the question, are you ready? A lot of people, the kind of people that are going to get on a race boat and kind of go and do that sort of thing, they will have that like lizard brain, lizard brain reaction where they say, yes, 
even though the actual answer is no, or I'm doing it, or I think I'll be ready by the time you get there, or I've forgotten, or whatever it is, but they'll just say yes. It's kind of like nodding dog syndrome. They're just, whatever the question is, just yep, noddy, 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 doddy. I'm doing like a little bobbly head kind of impression here, but it's uh, nodding dogs is very, very dangerous. So a better question to ask is, is anyone not ready? And what's the answer to, is anyone not ready? The sought for answer is silence. Okay, because if everyone, if anyone is not ready, then they should be piping up. It changes the, 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 the pressure in the situation that instead of someone saying yes when they mean no, or indeed someone saying no, but their, their, their shout getting caught up and everybody else saying yes, because they're getting all worked up for the maneuver, um, either of those two things are bad. So if you say, is anyone not ready, it changes it that... Uh, there should only be one or two voices shouting out or hopefully no voices. But it, it, it leaves also a wonderful gap for a professional to sort of uh, or someone who's aspiring to be maybe one of those young lads with the Stuka handshakes to give it the old, uh, you know, I'm 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 confident enough in myself to admit when I'm wrong. It's like being at somebody else's house and you knock a, an ornament over and then you admit to it and everyone thinks, God, that guy's amazing because he he admitted to that thing. And then you just find yourself going to people's houses and knocking stuff off the shelves so that you can admit to it. And, you know, you don't have this problem. OK. All right. Well, fair enough. You know, no, do I? Um, but the, the thing with this is that these lizard brain young men, particularly in sailing, that are doing this kind of stuff, if you give them the opportunity to stridently say, I have a problem, it actually gives them an example of how they should act when they do have a problem rather than kind of corralling and herding them into this thing where they go, yeah, OK, and just try and work it out. If they get it wrong, they can, you know, fingers get caught in winches, backstays don't get released. The, the jib goes early, all this stuff, which is just a nightmare when you're trying to uh, jibe a, a big boat in a tight situation. So um, prepare to tack. Uh, is anyone not ready? And then the next thing that comes after the hoped for silence, a silence which can be a bit jarring if you're used to kind of going, yeah, after you've been asked if you're ready. Um, after the silence, the next thing is me saying helms down. Now, helms down within the practice language that I've discussed with other people is going to... Um, Give them only an indicator that I am moving the, the wheel and that the, the thing is happening. Very little of what happens next is actually under the control of the people. If you have a system where everybody knows exactly what they're doing, then you would have a system whereby, you know, the people on the jib trim are situationally aware of the other vessels around them and have perfect control of how quickly they bring on a sheet and how tightly they get it worked out. The grinders are in perfect harmony with them. The All of that would have to be in place for them to be taking control of that aspect of the boat, i.e. cutting the jib and bringing it on the other side. If they don't have that full control, then it's luck if they get it right. So it's better to put it to the person that's driving the boat because they know like how much speed they need. They'll be able to detect the the slowing down or indeed increase the speed in the boat or if it hits a wave or whatever it is. So the person driving the boat, in my mind, certainly is the captain that drives the boat. Um, I'm the one that tells the jib trimmers when to let draw. OK, let draw is a really old term that comes from tall ships because you'd have to have this entire you know, symphony of people moving all these ropes and all the parts around and the coordinating uh, command for all of that to let draw the canvas to go from one side to the other. Um, 
is you know nailed down on the barrel head in in uh, uh, tall ship sailing but is completely absent from yachts well when you get to like 60 odd foot it's my opinion that it's a very useful command again because you can give let draw early and shake the sails of the boat and like head up into the wind and then you know get as they're bringing the sail in on the other side you've slowed the boat off and you kind of hover at the moment just before the line or whatever it is equally you can have them um let draw much much later where the jib is almost backed and you can slow the boat down in that way so you can hover and back the the, the boat down um, by having control of the draw of the of the headsails for me there's a specific element which doesn't really apply to other boats but the backstay is an absolutely key element as is the traveler work so i have commands in this which is again me turning the vessel of the boat and it will be main sheet on um, and then traveler up and then keel across and ballast in and all these other things which are part of it as well again if you had a group of people who had absolute clarity of focus and uh, and a combined understanding of what was going on on board the boat you wouldn't have to give any of these commands but it's a fantastic opportunity to see how well it can work when you have practiced with a novice group an amateur group and given them the words and practice the methodology and then see it in action and that's when they feel like a real team i believe it's it's not really a team when you're on a race boat where everyone's kind of making out like they know what's going on or you're on a cruising boat where they're kind of making out what we thought or know how this goes when you can have it like boom 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 and it happens uh on on a practiced schedule with language that you've uh, you've gone through together and agreed on it's a beautiful thing it's a really good thing that's when sailing and racing is uh, is a wonderful thing when you know my early dreams of being at sea were uh, to be on a, a tall ship which i did at the beginning of my career but then moved away from as sail training has changed over the years but um you know i think of like the um the mexicans on the uh the tall ship guatemoc they used to come into port with all of their sails still in the gear which isn't to say not furled up but just hanging in the uh the uh, the gear that um secures and the gaskets on the yard it looks a nice kind of frilly look and they've all got massive mustaches and very stripy white and blue t-shirts but they also do all of their coming alongside in another kind of language another kind of jargon which is all with bosun calls there's no there's no shouting on the deck when they when they bring their tall ship alongside and throw their heaving lines and winch the ship alongside and all that stuff. It's all done with whistles, which talk about, you know, a language that you can't access. You'd you'd you'd, ha you'd have to be in another era to really be on top of that or Mexican or really want to have a big mustache and a stripy shirt. Maybe they'll let you in. But um, it's a beautiful thing to witness and fantastic seamanship. Um, one of the things that we have to be very careful about when we're um, working with sailing uh, uh, jargon is that the precision which is available can end up getting uh, contorted when someone's not using it correctly um they can it can reduce the likely uh, the likelihood of misunderstandings absolutely but so often it's that people are getting confused between what is a you know just a, a, a say a cornucopia of, of language i can remember going and joining a vessel in thailand taking over as the captain there'd been a lot of captains really rather quickly and the first thing i had to deal with on the first day when i stepped into the office was the fact that the mate and the engineer had had a fight and the mate had bitten the engineer so badly that i can tell you even three or four months later um the, the bite marks still showed on the engineer's arm right this is these are grown people <laughs> so my question not knowing these characters but i had to go around to this this thai bar owner with um flowers for his wife and apologize on behalf of my crew as they wouldn't let us 
drink there anymore and it was the only place to drink that was anywhere near the boatyard we were up in the like the hood in the back of um bangkok uh like i don't know when that was 10 years ago or something working in this military yard on this old ship and um yeah what were they arguing about they were arguing about um the exact technical term for the shape of the back of the the, the, the vessel that we were working on this uh it's a big class yacht from the 19 from 1904 and uh one of them said it was a luger duck stern and the other one said it was a fantail and that's what started the argument okay <laughs> and ended up with them biting each other and destroying the bar and i stood there like i cannot believe that i'm having this conversation with grown-ups and pointed out to them that both of them were wrong because it was in fact a uh, a counter stern which those boats are super famous for having counter sterns and high spoon bows right which is a nice curving bow but with the tightening of the radius up high on the prow rather than a little bit lower down which gives a more kind of rounded uh, blunt blunt shape to them so it's a counter stern a fantail is what you get on like um, a steamship or indeed on a, a larger sailing ship back in the day but if you were look to look down on the ship from above at the back the back of the boat would be in a, uh, a semicircular shape and that semicircular shape would then tighten like a funnel uh, in the stern section of the boat and the, the bottom of the funnel would be the rudder so that you imagine like classic shape to the back of a ship nice and rounded coming down into the rudder that's a fantail a luger duck stern is the back of a um, an etchel it's kind of like a reverse cut in the in the back of the boat you'll have to look it up a bit like a duck it cuts this way and then cuts the other way that's an actual so they were both wrong and then ended up in a fight which nearly got them uh <laughs> nearly got them fired i kept them on just because they were clearly interesting people you know but um it didn't work out that well in the end but there you go um let's have a look a bit more at this uh this section of jays we've only got another page left so it won't be too many uh what else we got here jib martingale uh, the length of wire rope that leads from the jaboom to the dolphin striker to support the boom from beneath. So the rigging on a bowsprit on a traditional vessel is exactly the rigging for a mast. It's just horizontal instead of uh, vertical. So the bit that would be a spreader on a mast is a uh, dolphin striker um, and the uh, jaboom uh, the wire, the wire that comes down from the underside of the bowsprit to meet the dolphin striker um, is that's the jib jib martingale there you go <laughs> is that is that helpful there's a martingale a dolphin striker there's angel lines there's all sorts of stuff down there um what else we got jib headed rig oh yeah a jib uh, sorry a rig wherein all sails are triangular right so also known as a marconi rig or a bermudan rig but jib headed is uh is tight triangular pin headed mains jib headed uh, sails um Jib stay is a stay leading forward from the fore topmast in a square rigged vessel and from near the head of the foremost mask of mast of a fore and aft rig and from it the jib is set. So your jib stay is another word for your fore stay, which could be helpful for me actually because like the uh, Open 60's got so many uh, head stays, I don't know which what all the different names are for all the different different things you've got available to connect to. Um, jigger is a light luff tackle. The word tackle is the word tackle. It's the same thing, but the like technically the I'm told the old pronunciation for it is tackle rather than tackle. But um, you know clearly I, I I was brought up with a, a block and tackle. But as soon as you're working on tall ships, everything's tackle. So take it for what you will. Uh, a jigger is a light luff tackle from various work for various work about the decks. Okay, so is that not a bit like a watch tackle? 
A boom jigger is used to rig stunsel booms in and out. So if you have a, a big old fashioned tall ship like something like the Cutty Sark, on the ends of the yards, you had stunsels, little extra like struts that you could push out from the end of the yards and then put extra canvas um, to, to give you even more surface area as you went off down the trade winds, of course. So um, jigger takels uh, are the things that pull those stunsels out uh, to give you that extra area. Um, after the sail has been uh, hoisted by the halyards, they are swigged or sweated up by the jiggers. Oh, yeah. OK, so um, basically what you'd have back in the day was uh, a two stage halyard system for some sails, whereby on the head of the sail, there's a block and there's a single line that runs through the block and out to the rigging on one side of the vessel and out to the rigging on the other side of the vessel. Now, if you pull on if either side of that that rope is secured and you pull on the other side, the sail will go up. That's easy enough to understand. What you have is uh, one end of the line comes down and is pulled on deck and you get most of the sail up with that. And the other side of this line is connected to a massive like four to one set of blocks that are in the starboard rigging, which you then pull that down and all of that line comes in in loads and loads, hundreds of feet of it. And then but you've got this four to one uh, increase in your ability and that's how you get the tension. The final weight of the sail goes up and the, the tension comes onto it. And then those blocks are chock a block down on the side deck and all the line is secured away and all the weights down on the deck. So uh, if you want to lower the sail off, you first let go of that jigger block and left everything up on the halyard. The sail will come down somewhat and then you go to the other side and have uh, the lads ease down the uh, the halyard so that um, you can get the main um, the, the main bulk of the sail down. A um, couple last ones here. Jimmy Legs is the master at arms. Uh, Jimmy the One is a slang expression used in the Royal Navy to indicate the officer charged with the everyday running of the ship, uh, generally the first lieutenant or executive officer. Jimmy Squarefoot is a mythical being at the sea bottom, i.e. Davy Jones. And Jingle, or the Jingle Bell, is an auxiliary bell used with a gong to signal the engineer from the pilot house. <laughs> it indicates the desire for full speed, whether ahead or astern. Oh, is that, is that that song, Jingle Bells? What? No. I think that's like, hey, you've got bells, you should jingle them. Isn't that what the song's saying? Like, jingle your bells, jingle your bells? Maybe not. Maybe Santa was actually the captain of a ship and Rudolph was the engineer. And that's what jingle bells is all about. Who knows? Uh, Joe Cost is a piece of sail spread in the weather for rigging on a fishing schooner to serve as a lee for the lookout. Well, that's a good idea, like a, a, a wave break. It's called a Joe Cost. And joggling is the offsetting of the edges of plates of outer strakes to avoid the use of liners. OK, so joggled frames are those whose outside faces are cut so as to receive the planks in such a way as to give the appearance of a clinker built boat. So instead of actually overlapping all the material, you make cuts into the ribs of the vessel so that the, the exterior planking sits into it in such a way so it looks like a clinker built boat. That's not too bad. Hey, have we got anything else here that's worth doing as we sort of draw into uh, one hour here? We've got, um, oh, this is good. Okay, jolly boat. A work boat carried by a merchantman or sh uh, usually at the stern of a schooner. Uh, the jolly roger is the black flag of piracy. The word roger in the 16th century appears to have carried the meaning of a vagrant or a thief, possibly derived from rogue. Oh, I didn't know that. The adjective jolly was applied by pirates for effect. OK, so they were being called basically vagrants or thieves. That kind of makes sense. Rogers or rogues. 
and then they just added jolly in front of it to uh to uh well for effect as it says right just to spit in those people's eyes um what else we got here junk um a discarded rope blocks oh discarded rope blocks and other gear well that makes sense right so it's junk a chinese or japanese vessel it is usually of a latine rig with bat wing sails of woven matting the models of hulls are the result of experience running back for centuries of long voyages and interestingly when you look at junk rigs and then you look at big fully battened uh, square top mained race boats now you realize how good the junk uh, rig was and then you look at scale bows which they've now got on um, mini transats of I think class 40s I think open 60s have experimented with it. having a big wide scale bow or junk bow on things is very good for buoyancy in the bow and to promote planing so there's a lot to be said for junk rigs and it says here um, the models of hulls are the result of experience running back for centuries along voyages absolutely and those those dynamics have now been proven to be absolutely solid and we're using them again today uh, Jupiter or the fifth planet from the Sun cool jury a makeshift rig used to work a vessel to port probably from the French jour as in for a day oh jury comes from the French for jour as in a day like just it's just got last a day and then we've got jury anchor jury mast and jury rig jury rudder and finishing up this section ah, a little uh, a little bit of trivia to finish out with here the last thing in here is Ju Angaria J-U-S and the new word Angaria A-N-G-A-R-I-A does anybody know what Ju Angaria is not something that's uh, probably going to come across with uh, most racing boats and most um, uh, cruising situations but well cruising situations maybe possibly maybe not but uh if you have any idea what Ju angaria is there's a cap in it for you if you want to write in with that csm the mariner at gmail.com um look let's uh, let's bring this to a bit of a conclusion as we get into an hour the thing with sailing um jargon my my very first uh experience of being out in the water and having to get into sailing i was lucky to have mentors on board the tool ship i was working on who were actively involved in teaching us and so we understood what was going on around us. And then all the sail training I've done, I have had to promote uh, with multiple crews over multiple like decades now exactly how to do something so everybody understands what is going to happen next. And I have always, despite any of that, not cared if people say upstairs and downstairs and left and right and, you know, front and back and all those things which are in the bedroom, the kitchen. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we enjoy sailing, that we have a shared language that we will understand. If someone says the kitchen on the boat, don't be an idiot. You know what they're talking about. If they say I'm going to the toilet, what does it matter if they actually mean heads? Clearly, they're not as professional or as in that community or not as uh, knowledgeable. But, uh, you know, if it's fun to introduce these terms and then use them, OK, just as long as they say we're not beating people over the head with them because it can become this like gatekeeping uh, trope, which it does more harm to sailing than anything else when no one understands what the hell's going on around them. And the culture is that you can't ask questions like that's the mushroom principle, right? If you keep people in the dark and feed them shit, then that's that's most mushroom talk so i think uh being aware of jargon being aware of the use of jargon using it as a the most positive version of it where you get clear communication you increase safety uh, efficiency is increased you respect the tradition and culture of sailing uh, demonstrate professionalism and uh you know th those things are the most positive aspect of it 
recognizing the challenge that it presents to newbies to the sport um, and that some terms have multiple meanings and one word might mean multiple things staying kind of uh, cognizant of that can only make you a better skipper and recognizing that over time you have to be adaptable that even the jargon itself changes we're at a point now where most of the things i've gone through in here are totally unknown to us this entire book basically is filled with stuff that no one have an idea of and now we're talking about rope technologies and different winch uh you know parts of the winches the l boxes and the coffee grinder and the feeder and the self tailor and you know one-handed winch handles and all this stuff would be jargon that people from back in time wouldn't understand either so it's always evolving it's always training what we want to do is make sure that the positive use of the word inclusivity applies here that we don't make it into a, a bubble around us that we, we 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 pierce that as often as we can to try and encourage more people into uh, enjoying sailing and uh, and have some fun with it but look if you love listening to um sailing jargon then you should definitely check out the mariners library i hear it's wonderful um or of course go over to the mariner youtube channel and see what's going on there and uh you know, we can learn this stuff together. But uh, if you've got any really fun ones that you've heard or situations you've got into with misunderstood or confused uh, sailing jargon, please uh, share them with me. It'd be very interesting to uh, to hear how that's gone. I do know of one, uh, a, a, a submarine which was lost, I think, between the First and Second World War, where the, at the time the instruction for going under the surface was dive, dive, dive. Um, unfortunately, the guy in the conning tower shouted steer course 355 and they dived the ship uh, with the uh, the hatches still open. And uh, I, I think if everybody died or a couple survived or whatever, it wasn't good. I think it was in quite shallow water. So they got the ship back, but um, the uh, or the boat back in terms of a submarine, different jargon in their boats, not ships. Um, but then they changed the jargon to dive the boat dive the boat dive the boat instead of dive 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 <laughs> so you know it can go wrong and uh, you've got to make sure you've got to be the one that helps make sure it doesn't go wrong good well i hope there's something in that for everybody i say i try and take a little bit different angle to this so that we can get into the mortar of what makes sailing such a important edifice in our lives the bricks are there in everything that we read and do uh, online and uh, in books around sailing um, but a bit of fun to look at uh, i don't know the attitude the intent and some of the uh, vagaries of at least the j's in the uh, mariner's dictionary but uh, that's all i've got for you in this episode thank you very much for listening all the way through to the end i really appreciate your support uh, please if it's uh, you've got something from this uh, share this with other people in the sailing community uh, the intention is just to help educate everybody and keep people safe and enjoying their sailing but uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing i hope that you are safe and sound and i mean that in the technical jargonistic sense that your vessel is sound and your crew are safe and i look forward to speaking to you in the next one cheers